what makes Grandpa Ray's different than the next company? You know, we, you know, we, we know what we sell and we sell what we know. Welcome back to Wild Game Dynasty, folks. Hey, we broke ground on episode number 99. It has to do with food plots, and that's a hot topic today. Holy smokes, people are really spending an awful lot of money on that. Yeah, I'm kind of one of them. Up to our uh, camp up north, and actually a couple camps. Hey, we we broke ground doing that too. So, and it's really provided a uh, man just a, a fun time, fun time for the family, fun time for me and my buddies. And it's always great to see the wildlife that really enjoy that. And hey, this podcast episode number 99 is with a John O'Brien out of Wisconsin. He owns a company called GrandpaRayOutdoors.com, and well, you know. I had not heard of it until my buddy uh, Rod Little, uh, the turkey guy. Well, he's more than a turkey guy. He hunts. He hunts his full head off a lot. So, uh, and he's very good at it. So, well, he was a nine-time state of Michigan nine-time uh, turkey calling champ. So, he knows a thing or two about how to prep, how to how to be a winner at what he does. So, he turned me on to Grandpa Race, and uh, I reached out to John O'Brien. Really, really really enjoyed what he had to say so we set up as a podcast without further ado let's roll right into podcast episode number 99 with john o'brien john o'brien this is gary morgan calling yeah good morning to you hey how's it going it's gonna be 60 degrees here uh you know on the 16th of march which is unseasonably warm and so it's kind of uh, leading to a lot of questions and uh, and keeping me plenty busy with this uh, break in the weather Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, my uh, my wife even uh, mentioned to me, she says, hey, uh, um, we've got to do some uh, lawn care out. In the, and I said to her, I said, hey, the frost is still the ground, hon. There's no, we're not going to plant our peas and potatoes today. But, uh, hey, there's stuff to do outside. And like you say, it's just a great day to get outside and enjoy that uh, first breath of, uh, we'll call it spring. And I know there's been some other warm days, but, boy, it's looking good out there. Yeah. Not too early to plant, I guess. You know, there's different ways we'll get into about it. So, yeah, I got the edge myself. Good. Excellent. I reached out to a friend of mine, and I know you probably know him. His, his name is Rod Little. Rod and I spent a lot of time talking about hunting. And, of course, he's a uh, he's a very good hunter, deer hunter, etc. And, matter of fact, a lot of people probably don't know that he was a nine-time state turkey calling champ. He entered the contest in the state of Michigan and he won that nine out of the 12 times he entered it. So, um, But he is really, really enthusiastic about some other thing, and that's habitat for the animal. He's doing some neat things on his plot, which is about a half an hour away from where I live in, in uh, mid-Michigan. He shared with me some documents, some booklets that you guys produce, and it caught my attention when it said Grandpa Ray's. Grandpa Ray's, that's not like a bag of potato chips that I've bought before, but... Uh, he smiled and he says, "No, he says, Gary, you really got to, you got to check this out. You're going to look at your food plots. Your clients are going to look at their food plots. Your listeners, if you're able to get the owner, John, being you on a podcast, it's going to change the way people look at this stuff, and it's going to take a lot of the frustration right out of the game, and they're going to have a lot more fun than frustration." That caught my attention, and that's when I reached out to you. And so we're really looking forward to doing that, taking some gold nuggets out of our today's conversation. Yeah, and I hope to give a few uh, little helpful tips and some food for thought. Yeah, outstanding. First things I ask when it's when when I'm 
kind of being asked to switch from, you know, choosing A and now I got to choose B or why am I going to switch brands or why am I going to do something a little bit different? I guess, you know, I bought some food plot seed and prep stuff and I've had some decent luck. I didn't say great, but my question is really, John, is what makes Grandpa raise your product and your system and your information different than the next company? that might be offering some similar opportunities? Yeah, and actually, I, uh, the answer I will provide is what was uh, voiced to me by you know, the gentleman that does all my shipping and works with me on a lot of shows and things like that. You know, he had a guy reach out to him a few weeks ago, and they're like, well, how's Grand Prix's different? And Aaron's like, well, John does this for a living, 24-7, 365. This is his life. He doesn't have another job and, you know, and then does wildlife stuff on the side is you know, an added uh, income stream, which is more or less the rule in the industry versus the exception. There's very few people that just focus on it um, you know, full-time. But beyond that, I guess I kind of got a little thing I've taken from that is saying, you know, we, you know, we, we know what we sell and we sell what we know. And what that means is I, I've been doing this as a roommate and church consultant agronomist, feed specialist since 1991, full-time. Wow. The whole time. So, you know, I know, you know, uh, everything from soil to how we can manipulate that soil to get the nutrients into the forages, how those forages grow, how we can, you know, keep them healthy and grow to their uh, maximum genetic potential. And then even beyond that, uh, we know how they uh, perform inside the deer, you know, when the deer consumes them and as it moves through the system. And so, you know, I, I'm a total geek, but yet, you know, I would like to say I'm America's wildlife research expert. And if I'm not, well, then I always joke with people saying, well, then maybe I better work a little harder this year. So, <laughs> you know, we have a number of research yeah. properties. Yeah. The main research property in South Central Wisconsin, 30 miles north of Madison, where we have um, in the past had, you know, for a number of years, 34 different blocks of forges every year. You know, they were 10 foot wide by 100 feet long. We've kind of revamped that where now the blocks are a little wider, 16 feet long, and there's about 24 different blocks. We have a 160-acre sand ground research property um, in the Wisconsin Dells area, and as you know, a lot of, there's a lot of areas in, in Michigan that, you know, there's sand ground. And then I also have, you know, the main Grand Prairie Farm, which is what I named my business after. You know, a lot of people might think I'm Grand Prairie's, and I'm probably old enough to be a grandpa, I guess, being 53, <laughs> but I named my business after my grandpa, who was a huge influence in my life, uh, dairy farmer, crop farmer, beef farmer, that's where I grew up, uh, I was on the farm, and that was my influence, a property where my, uh, where else is that if uh, people go on Facebook, it's called Extreme Property Makeover, have, you know, diverse soil, a lot of challenges that the typical food plotter would have. And then I have another, you know, 160-acre property and towards the Mississippi River, you know, that has a lot of unique things going on. So, you know, we have a lot of acreages of experimental farms. Uh, you know, I'm always testing new forages that, and some that other wildlife companies don't even know about. You know, they're new to the U.S. You know, I'm, I'm allowed to have the opportunity to test a lot of forages because of my connection with, you know, one of the largest uh, seed grower distributors in the United States, I'm a total food plot and wildlife geek, you know, yeah. and that's why when I say, I, you know, we sell what we, we know and we know what we sell, it's 
because this is my life. This has been my life, my passion. Educator first, consultant as well. And then as a result, you know, people like what they hear and what they glean for information from me. You know what? Buy my seed, buy my products. And, you know, one of the ways I make a living is through my dealer chain, online distribution chain. But I would like to think I'm a consultant and educator and a researcher first and foremost. Well, you know, that's exactly how I perceive it. And after reading some material that uh, Rod Little shared with me, and of course then going on your website, and uh, I have a, uh, a, a year membership with you all, uh, appreciate that. There is so much information, but that's exactly it. What I, what I, my takeaway was several things, but the big thing was is the education side of things. You know, it's like I don't know shooting a, a shotgun, and you know you got nine pellets on a double lot two and three quarter inch uh, shell. You're going to hit something probably. Um, you don't have to be too darn accurate. Something's going to come up. Something's going to grow. But I like the fact that uh, you got a target. You're you got laser sights. Why? Because You've done the research. You've sighted in that gun. Like you said, you know what you got. You, you're promoting a uh, not just a uh, product, but you're promoting the product that fits the situation. Given given the uh, average uh, food plot guy or maybe the habitat person, the person that's got some property, an opportunity, not just do a better job, but to do a lot better, to be less frustrated and more satisfied with uh, the, end, the end game, the end product. So for that, we really yeah. appreciate your time. Yeah, maybe one of the ways to look at it is, you know, for a while, you know, many, many years ago, I did some firefighting. So it's kind of like, you know, do you want to fight fires or do you want to prevent fires? And most firemen, hopefully, their answer is, let's educate people um, yeah. to you know, do what we can to not have a fire. <laughs> and yeah. that's where my education comes in is, okay, let's figure out ways to do better, get you to do better, so that you're not having complete failure. Because who wants that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just... Sometimes, you know, especially where you live, where I live in mid-Michigan, we share a lot of the same climate uh, influences, probably very, very similar. We got one shot at this, maybe two, on uh, putting together a food plot for maybe some deer and turkey, some, you know, some critters that we want to uh, help out, have them be a healthier uh, flock, a healthier herd. To do it wrong two or three years in a row, let let alone do it wrong once. And always be frustrated and just say, you know, why is it that this thing is just not taking off? Mm-hmm. I, I'm look really, really looking forward to um, becoming a better, uh, better food plot person because of the information you're providing. Yeah, and I think it would, uh, you know, I, I would look at this as more of like a sustainable approach. Yeah, most people, you know, you know, can can have a successful uh, food plot, um, you know, season year, you know, year one. Some random luck, you know, Mother Nature that could come into play. But it's kind of like also going to the casino. I mean, you can win a year, you can win the next <laughs> time, but eventually you might crap out. And so, you know, if you're not getting the nutrients back into the, you know, back out to your soil, you know, uh, keeping your soil as healthy as can be, you know, no matter how good the forages are growing year one, year two, maybe even year three, eventually you're going to, you know, either mine, deplete your soil, or uh, because of your planting, whatever you were choosing to plant, maybe not being a best fit, you, you eventually are going to have some issues. And so I look at it as not just, you know, planting like, hey, what should we plant this year? But what we plant this year, how can it make next year better? You bet. And the year after. So that's why we do a lot of three-year plans, three-year rotation. And look at it as like, whatever we do now should benefit years down the line and and that's 
that's kind of good conservation thought, sustainability, and, and again, plan for success. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. You know, it'd be so easy to just kind of see, throw something at the wall, see what sticks approach. Something's going to grow and then find out we kind of literally burnt out our soil. Nothing's happening. We spent all kinds of money, bought a tractor, bought some implements uh, to help it happen, and we, you know, went at it like we were, we knew what we were doing. And then, you know, not only did the soil burn out, but the uh, the guy that b- bought all that equipment, he's burned out and he's frustrated. Yeah, and like some people are, you know, I, I bring this up on occasion. The people that are actual farmers, you know, they could be planting some corn genetics that could yield 250, 300 bushel an acre, right? You know, just look at it as, as like the same deal. Like I sell some genetics, you know, that's high yielding. But again, because they're higher yielding genetics, they they mine, they require more. So if I'm not doing a good way of uh, a good amount of education, you know, we're we're going to deplete those nutrients in the soil. So that's why instead of just saying to people, "Hey, buy my seed. It's great seed. It's high yielding. Deer love it." Yeah. That does that only goes so far. You know, when I say again, I you know I know what I saw and I saw what I know. My challenge I will bring up to people is, okay, ask any other wildlife company what they uh, do. They have an extensive library of forage samples. And the answer is, and I've asked somebody that's near the top of the food chain, like, who else does really meaningful research? And the answer was nobody. And then, my, you know, my comment, you know, could be to you or anybody else that are like, hey, why well, are you different? You know, educate me, tell me more. If you don't know how your forest blends grow, if you don't know how they test on your minerals that are in there and protein, then how do you know how to fertilize? Yeah. Everybody gets fertilizer recommendations, right? How good are they if you don't know that? And, you know, and some people might say, well, but, you know, first, the, the soil labs will give you recommendations. And then my next question that most people aren't aware is most labs in the U.S. don't really have a very extensive library. Most forages that are sold by the wildlife industry, there's, there's very few forage samples that have ever been taken. And, you know, a couple of labs that I use, most of those, uh, samples that have ever been taken historically were done by me. I have the library. You know, that's the one thing that, you know, I kind of smile and at times bang my head against the wall. You know, when you go on social media and you have people say, well, buy this company seed, buy that seed. Here's what, how you can get fertilized. It's frustrating to me because, you know, there's a lot of bad information, misinformation, poor information. And I used to find myself trying to answer and give my own feedback you know, in these cases, but again, that's why I just try to encourage people, hey, you know, or my customers, guys like Rod, you know, listen to John more, you know, join his membership, listen to him, because I don't speak about what I don't know, and if I give recommendations, it's not anything random willy-nilly, right. it's based on, you know, my extensive amount of research, my extensive amount of, you know, not just measuring growth, like I said, but measuring what's inside those plants. If you don't know what how things grow and you don't know how you know how nutrient dense they are, then anything is just a guess when it comes to how to fertilize. Yeah, that's for sure. And you know, I think back a couple of times when I you know over the years when I thought oh, I'll give this a try, and I even tried testing it out behind the house here, uh, out in our garden. I had a little spot that I'd, I'd throw some leftover seed so you know here i find my way to the uh, farm elevator and somebody's well you can't go wrong if you just use triple 12 and and uh and and put down some lime to neutralize it you can't go wrong 
I thought, well, okay. Later on, I thought, really? Nobody ever really said during those conversations along the way, hey, you got to get your soil tested. You got to see what, what it's calling for. And what are you looking to plant? I mean, is your, is your soil in your area set up to, uh, you know, to be a rock star for this, for the seeds that you're putting in the soil? Well, you just brought up a comment that's very rarely discussed. And here's my, my statement to that. Triple 10, triple 12, 50, triple 15 has ruined a lot of the soils. Yeah. It's a generic canned answer, but it's a terrible answer on so many levels. And again, I mean, I won't probably get into it much today because that could just be a whole hour or two seminar <laughs> in itself because most forages that are out there need way more potassium and you'll never meet the requirements using a triple 10, triple 12 fertilizer. So many people are either completely depleted in phosphorus or they're in excess because they've been putting the standard, you know, triple 10, triple 12 down, putting way more phosphorus than is needed. And again, on your clovers and, and legumes and that that don't need the nitrogen, the standard triple 10, triple 12 is feeding weeds. Yes. And that's another part of integrated weed management that's bad science is when you're using those two standard blends. You know, that, that, that makes me cringe when I, when I hear that and see that out there, you know, as part of a canned answer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, shifting gears a little bit, but same topic, especially, you know, before we press the proverbial record on the on this microphone, we'll say, we had a, a small conversation about um, some of your partnerships and some of your uh, people that um, work for you at some of your deer schools and stuff, but that that Alpena, Michigan area. You know, my camp up there is probably 35, 40 minutes from Alpena, but that's a big dairy uh, area, dairy farming. Is the byproduct from dairy farming, obviously, is cow manure, or maybe it might be a horse manure on that particular farm. Is that a good alternative to consider for fertilizing? Yeah, and actually, as we move farther down in in the state south of there, over by National City, where's the gypsum plant, there's an operation that's mixing, uh, these are some really big dairies down there that are mixing, you know, cow manure with the humix and some other, you know, um, nutrients in that, or humix, excuse me, uh, gypsum, so that could be an alternative. The one negative can be, and it's funny you bring that up, because I was on a, doing a property tour, Lake Michigan side of Wisconsin yesterday, a large dairy, uh, looking at a lot of weeds and issues in the alfalfa field. Again, that was the one conversation him and I had is, you know, where we're getting a quite a few weeds in some areas is because <laughs> of, you know, where they were spreading a bunch of manure. So yeah. uh, manure can be a source of good nutrients, but it also can be a bad source of weeds. And, for example, where I'm going to be doing deer school up in the Millersburg area, which is yep. um, um, County, north, uh, west of Alpena and up around Onaway. Yeah, Presque Hill County. Even when we're doing deer school, that was a question brought up a couple years ago that they might have access to some manure because they have sandy ground. And my question I said to them is, is it coming from a stock cow farm, a horse farm, a dairy farm? Because a lot of these stock cow type manures are, you know, hay that's not as good a quality, tends to be weedier. And that could be one of the worst things you ever do is use some manure from a, you know, from somebody that's feeding, you know, through the animals, less than ideal quality or a weedy type uh, grass hay or, you know, grass up off a blend type hay. Yeah, well, that's a great answer because there's so many people that look at that as an opportunity. You know, I remember my father-in-law passed away a couple of years ago, but he had one of the nicest gardens 
Uh, he lived, you know, across across the way, across the field from a a, a medium-sized dairy farm, and, and those people would always come over per his request and put just, I mean, literally tons of manure on his garden. But boy, it was a bugger to weed. Holy smokes! You know, you'd help him weed wow. it, but he did he did have some smoking hot looking garden. So in, uh, uh-huh. but it was high maintenance. It was it was pretty maintenance heavy. You know, I, that's why I look at that on the food pot side, and that's a great answer. You. Nobody would ever look at that to say, is manure good or bad? Well, yes or no. It kind of depends on what the what the uh, animal's eating to give you that byproduct, whether it's going to be good for your ground or not. Exactly, yep. You talked about testing soil in that prep side of things. You know, before you before you even do anything, what what do I, what is my next move? That's what I look at is that, that soil testing and preparation. You kind of hinted on that, though, on, I should say, you, you did talk about it on the the use of uh, quality laboratories to give you, you know, the, a good spec sheet, we'll say, letting you know exactly where your soil is. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different soil uh, testing labs around the United States. Some are uh, nationally certified. Some have more a better reputation than others. But I just say that most of the soil and business, you know, are, are, are you know, reputable enough to be able to get, you know, results that are pretty reliable. One thing that I usually say to people is work with, uh, you know, Rucker Labs is my um, soil testing lab. And no matter what lab you work with, you got to I also have customers that might get their soils tested, you know, more locally, you know, because I work with people all over across the United States. Um, they might get their soil tested locally, some of they're comfortable with, and they'll send me the results and I'll be able to walk them through it. But here's something that I learned many years ago that very few people have probably heard or uh, heard mention. No matter where you're getting your soil samples done, you should probably, you know, you keep continuing to use, you know, that same soil testing lab. Uh, everybody has their own uh, calibrations. And as far as consistency, I mean, there can be variabilities. I mean, we, I could take samples myself, uh, multiple cores from one spot, and send them to like three five or five different labs that are reputable, and we can get different results back. Wow. And again, I don't want to get into it too much and really start making you know making it complicated. But I mean, I, I, it's about consistency. It's about benchmarking, about trend lines. So like you know, we're, you know, if I send samples in this year, send another sample in next year, and the year after, you know, I'm always looking at not just what the results say, but like what direction are we moving the needle. Are we, you know, or hopefully not moving the needle much at all? I mean, once you get it balanced, I mean, we want to have soil balance. We don't want to have the needle moving too much to the left here to depleting your soils or building up, you know, above and beyond where we need to be because, especially a year like this year, fertilizer prices have exploded because of everything going on in the world and, yes. and whatnot. That, you know, that it's, it's about, you know, having a confidence in the lab wherever you're sending samples. Comparing from year to year and trying to look at it's kind of like a, a teeter totter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, do you if you're on the teeter totter, do you want to be like you know, would let it be a wild and crazy you know ride on there, or you just want to kind of like just you know, move up and down a little bit, you know, with somebody on each side? And and the answer is for good, healthy soil and sustainability, we don't want to have a lot of variability. We want to try to to keep things as as, as, as nutrient and pH balanced as we can from year to year. Yes, absolutely. Amen to that. I don't know, in life, uh, I, I don't like, a, you know, the, the big time highs and lows. 
they can burn us out. And I would think that soil would be kind of similar in nature. If I mean, no pun intended there, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, if we're yanking yanking this out of it and putting this in it, and and kind of that uh, this this will work, but that soil is going to feel the same thing. It's um, it's not a not a smooth easy ride. This thing is you know humming along and 100 miles an hour one minute and 10 miles an hour the next. Yeah, and that's one thing that that, that also kind of. Uh leads the perspective on and we'll be covering this at Deer School Michigan coming up uh, as well as you know when you you see on social media people ask well should I take a soil sample and what's my ideal pH and how to fertilize I mean everybody talks pH 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 but again you know that's not a hard fast rule where you need to be 6 out at 7 oh pH in my world is only a third of the equation not as much of the equation as most other wild companies soil guys individuals think there's also my in my world a third of it is and what i actually look at first mm-hmm. when i look at my soil sample the first thing I, I i look at is not ph it's actually your cc numbers it's your exchange capacity your cannon exchange capacity that tells me you know most likely hey, is this is this sand ground is this loam ground is this clay ground you know we got the one third being how how active um the other third being you know how good can we hold the nutrients that we put down the soil you know being the cc levels and then the other third of the equation that would really get that really gets to be in depth which is what i really am getting people working towards that i work with individually and part of my team zero membership is how alive is your soil wow. you could have a good cc level you could have good loam ground ph of 6.5 right Mm-hmm. And your soil might not still be too uh, giving. Uh, the, the plants might not be taking up nutrients effectively. Something like this, for example. I say that people you know, might look at me and wonder, well, what do you talk about? How do I know if my soil is alive? Well, there's more expensive tests you could take. There's some labs that actually you can get results. And, and, and a prop that I work with, one of my research properties, the owner, you know, even on his own other ventures and farming world, you know, it, it, you know, you can you know measure your your you know, your biologics, your 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 fungi, uh, bacteria, and things like that in the soil. And so, for example, you know, if you if you don't have many worms, you know, take a shovel, dig yeah. a lot of spots. Maybe when you're soil sampling, are you getting many worms? And if the answer is no, that's a bad sign. Yeah. And another thing I'd say to people is. Well, if it's sand ground, you generally don't have this happen, but it could still happen, you know, uh, mm-hmm. too, if you have bad subsoil drainage. But dig holes. Dump a five-gallon pail of water into the hole. Does the water stand? Does it stay in there? Does it drain away fast? Or how slow does it drain away? Those are two little tips on, you know, without even, you know, spending any money on more detailed soil samples, do you see worms? Do you have good drainage? You could have, like I said, perfect CEC numbers. You could have really good pH levels. You could have your soil sample saying we got a good number of balanced, a good level of phosphorus and potassium. But then again, that doesn't mean it's going to be getting into the plants. That doesn't mean the plants are going to be utilizing it because yeah. you might have overused chemicals. Yeah. You, in, 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 for example, I don't use glyphosate. I don't use Roundup on the properties I manage. And there's a number of reasons for that, you know, because we're not trying. And, and again, if you're going to be planting corn and beans, if you're using fungicides that normally come on most corn and beans, yep. are you killing those soil microbes? Yeah. And so for me, it's a third, it's a third, 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 you know, a third, you know, good pH, a third, good CC 
speed level, which again, that's harder to change. And then the other third is how alive is your soil? So it's a little bit more complex than most seed companies, agronomists, the average food plotter perhaps think. Yeah, you know, it's funny how you explain that. It not only makes sense, but obviously it, it works well. Third prong approach. But I remember a conversation with a uh, with a guy. He was talking about using um, weed killer, Roundup, whatever it was. Probably was, I assume, anyways. And uh, and he had did that on some of his food plots, and he did it every year. And he'd spray pretty heavy, and then he'd wait ten days and plant, and everything was humming along. Him and his wife sold their house and moved up north, we'll say, to their cabin. Then they wanted to plant a garden, and she says, well, we'll put it right where that food plot is. And he says, no, we won't. He says, I, plant, or I put too much Roundup in that soil. I'm thinking, it's okay for the animals, but not okay for you. And what are you doing with the animals? I mean, you owe it to the animal. You owe it to the soil. And I just kind of looked at that and thought, well, that didn't seem like that should have happened that way. And, and the thing I will say is, you know, there's a lot of people and there's, you know, of all different uh, backgrounds that might scoff at my words. But here, but again, I say what I know and I know what I say. So here's what I will tell people. Back, I know when we start, we started seeing uh, nutrient changes in our forages, basically starting about two years after glyphosate became way more popular in the U.S. We started seeing a drop in plant protein levels. We started seeing a drop in plant calcium levels. We're seeing a drop in, uh, in, in plant magnesium levels, a rise in plant potassium levels, and in some cases a drop in plant magnesium levels. Wow. Three of those, or four of those five, are the most essential nutrients for antler development for deer, right? Yeah. And also putting body weight and body size on. But what I've been able to prove, and again, we'll keep proving it, keep sharing it to my members and talking about it, ever since we stopped using the glyphosate on my main research area, for three, I guess this will be the third year, we, we've changed the trend. Wow. We're seeing an elevation in plant nutrient levels and plant protein levels again. You know, another thing I'll bring up one other little quick story here that maybe will reinforce it. I also do, uh, in, in the past, I've done nutrition work for other nutrition consultants and that on, on the, you know, the um, farm side. And what made my job the easiest is actually when people were working with the organic or natural farmers, people who didn't use uh, herbicide uh, and using some you know, liquid you know, nutrients, things like that. And I could see, uh, you know, anytime I had you know, the four samples submitted to me, I'd look at it and I'd say to the guy, yeah, this guy's an organic farmer, this guy's a natural farmer, and, and he'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, that's, and that's one thing that, you know, there's a library there, there's a lot of experience that we saw that, we saw that years ago. You know, where people that switch to a more healthy approach, farming can be the same as food plotting. Yeah. You know, you 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 know, you have more of a nutrient dense forage, a healthier forage, healthier forages, healthier animals. And I, I'm venture to say most people they if you said, well, that that's well, you want to have that for your deer. I mean, who wouldn't <laughs> want to have that? Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's our goal. Really, is for most food plotters is. Have a healthy deer herd. Have a healthier deer herd uh, once they uh, figure out what they are planning is in the best interest of the animal. Hey, you mentioned a couple of things we talked about a little bit, but uh, you mentioned your deer school. I know you have something like that coming up here in Michigan 
over my way. Do you have a date on that by chance? I've done some deer schools, uh, two of them in the past, and this is uh, 2022 uh, deer schools on June 11th. It's up in the Millersburg area. There'll be a bunch of um, you know flyers advertised on social media and that coming down the line. Um, it'll run, you know, starting at 10 in the morning. So there should be property tours and seminars and, you know, it'll be free to the public and food and drinks and things like that provided. And what that property is going to be is, yeah, I'll be talking about food plotting, soil health, uh, tips and things like you and I have discussed on this podcast. But there'll be two other habitat experts there wow. that both get their part. You know, this was, uh, you know, an area up where there's a lot of hunt clubs, and this is sandy ground, but also but also a lot of, you know, wet areas, too, that, you know, you tend to find in parts of Michigan. And so there's things like berming done. There's things like, you know, doing some excavating to change, you know, some drainage, putting in a couple new food plots. So you're going to have, like, the gamut of, you know, putting in new food plots, you know, trying to handle uh, wet situations, but in- in- improving and creating new bedding areas. Wow. So there's, there's just going to be a lot of, and this, you know, and, and some of this is still pretty new that's been going on, you know, the last couple of years. So some of it's not all going to be complete. Some of it's still going to be in the developmental phase. But yet, this could be like one of the most, in, you know, interesting diverse uh, bit of with deer schools that I've done in my career, you know, and they'll be myself. It's sponsored by the food plot shop. And then also there'll be guys, Greg Campo did a bunch of work and Chris Pearson, which both those guys are my go-to guys in Michigan. I mean, they're really, really good at what they do. And they both weave their magic on this uh, on this property, and so there'll be you know good amount of education. Yes, indeed. That's I would I would agree. That was kind of my next statement. Is uh, there's a lot there, but I look at it. There's a lot there for for whatever stage a person is in their food plot uh, knowledge. There's going to be a lot of available takeaways, whether it be food plot 101 or habitat 101 or maybe some more advanced uh, teachings we'll say or information on that educational site it too with you with you and those two guys it kind of segments the expertise out i look at it and then it gives an opportunity in an in-person thing is you know if you have that special uh, issue or problem or question i would think that this is a great opportunity to be in person and, and to uh you know glean some uh extra gold nuggets out of this whole thing yeah and then that brings up a little subject too that there's so many people that want to be a one-size-fits-all wildlife expert you see it you hear it right yep and even though i have such a diverse background and i believe i have a pretty good amount of knowledge on most of these areas it's still that that's not how my career has been i've always been a team guy yeah you know even when i was doing more of the wearing more of the nutrition hat you know, we always would have somebody that was the agronomist. I mean, most progressive farmers don't just have a guy that's one size fits all. He'll have an agronomist, he'll probably have his nutritionist, he might have a banker, he might have a vetter, yep. or, you know, equipment guy. I mean, you've got a team. And with um, a lot of the properties I work with, uh, you know, whether it be in Michigan or wherever, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, talk to your NRCS agent, talk to your, or if you have somebody, you know, university-related that's yes. involved in Habitat. I mean, if you need a lot of tree stuff, I mean, talk to Forrester, talk to people that that's their life. You know, that's what they do for a living. Yeah. Water quality. You know, I would like to think my, you know, my expertise is soil, soil seed and the nutrition side. 
but yet, you know, I don't, I tend to not want to discuss, like, even though I could tell people, well, you could probably put that in here, you could cut these trees down, et cetera, et cetera, but I think it's better to bring in other sets of eyes, and that's also the approach that the guys I work with are doing, you know, even though they, they, they know enough, they're like, hey, well, have John come in, and so, you know, it's very common for me to work with properties around the United States where we're, you know, I'm doing my part, and other experts are weaving their own magic as a team approach. That's what I strongly advocate for in a world that so many people want to want to be the one size fits all expert. Yeah. No, I... you, you don't. You, you, the more eyes you get on something, yep. You know, the better. I mean, things get missed when it's just one set of eyes looking at that, something. I agree with you. Hey, we're a stronger. Uh, society or a stronger person or a stronger company when like you said when we're uh, comprised of several strands and that several strands make up that one strong uh, we'll say uh, rope or whatever it might be that analogy and uh, we're a we're a stronger better produ- producer on that and I look forward to uh, I'm I already marked it down June 11th and I'm gonna look for I'll, I'll be on your website for the listeners share with them how they can uh, check out your website my website's www.grandpa.rayoutdoors.com. Uh, same name and Facebook. Uh, for those of you guys that want to get more in depth, you know, I have a team approach that they call Team Zero membership. People pay $25 a year. They get a, a monthly newsletter. They get access to a private Facebook page where I can not edit, where I can speak more freely and share stuff that I don't want the masses to know. Yep. We also, we all got YouTube, you know, my Grandpa Outdoors YouTube video, uh, YouTube page where people and anybody can see, you know, content, but we're also moving towards the YouTube videos being posted that are private that if you're a member, you get to have access to wow. because not everybody uses Facebook or is comfortable right. with that. And so, you know, I'd like to think that we're, that's one of the things I'm going to be improving on and, you know, moving forward is, not just content, but I actually got, you know, uh, people now that uh, instead of me trying to do a lot of self-shooting and things like that, you know, videographers, photographers, yeah. people that are more talented and um, just trying to do little shorter videos, quicker hitters, like what's John doing, what's John seeing, you know, whether it be on a property tour yeah. or in my research. Yeah, outstanding. That's that's cool as heck. And I think there is a uh, desire and a big need and a big uh, gap that needs to be filled on just what you're saying. I know the food plot industry has exploded, um, but it's like anything. I don't think our ability to become a become our best has even come close yet. I think we have so far to go. The average food plot person. Now, there's a lot of people put a lot of efforts in, and they may be at that point, but there's an awful lot of us, we say us, me included, that um, wants to really put both feet into this, and I need some guidance. I just need uh, some gold nuggets, we'll say. I need I need someone that's a straight shooter. I don't need someone to sell me something. Uh, I need someone to point me in the right direction and know that what I'm what I'm purchasing is the right thing and my approaches are, are in the right direction as well. And for that, we really appreciate your work, John, and there's no sense in uh, trying to be that jack of all trades on, on my side. I'm going to reach out to uh, and make partnerships that uh, can make me a better person and make me a better uh, food plot person, we'll say, too, and 
And uh, for that, we really appreciate it. I'm looking at the time, I guess, is what I'm kind of winding down here a little bit. But uh, the the takeaway today is it's like anything. It's prep. You know, if someone uh, uh, buys a tractor or borrows their buddies and uh, tills some ground up um, and plants uh, some seeds after maybe they tried to neutralize the P8, maybe put some triple 12 in there, well, gal, we just went down that discussion, and we know what that uh, can do. Anyways, there's so much more to this that we can lower our sense of frustration because I have a lot of buddies that have food plots and some are having fun but most of them are really frustrated they need to get a hold of uh, uh, Grandpa Ray's that's my statement this that's yeah and one thing you brought up too you made two things that I do say when I you know when I do seminars and things like that it's like yeah a lot of this might sound like work some people are listening to me talk about like geez that just seems like too much work right we need to also have it fun and what tends to make it more fun is when you plan for success yep. think ahead see success and there's so many people that i work with now they're like you know they harvest a nice deer but what really mattered to them is the journey you know like all the hard work they put in yeah. or the smart effective work they put in. i mean work smarter not harder yeah it isn't hard work <laughs> Yeah. And right now, like it's, it's March, you know, 16th as we're shooting this video, this is where I tell people, start uh, looking at your equipment for spraying, go through your equipment that you're planning with or any tillage equipment, uh, figure out what fertilizer you're going to need, figure out what you're going to be planting, and that's where I spend so much time this time of year, is helping people formulate their plans. Plan now so you're not feeling so rushed, less mistakes when you plan ahead for success. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I got a buddy of mine that brings his tractor and his implements up up north, and uh, he trailers it all the way up. Maybe that'll change now if the price of gas is what it is, but he really enjoys spending some time there. We do some trades, so it, that way it's mutually beneficial. But uh, he said to me, he says, Gary, he says, uh, you know, I always enjoyed hunting. I have a daughter that really enjoys hunting. My wife, not so much. My other kids, I'm not too sure. He said, I think I have one that probably isn't interested. But he said, that's all changed when we started doing food plots. I bought myself this tractor, and he says, it's our family uh, money that, you know, bought this and the implements. He said, the kids and my wife and I, we have a family uh, fun time going out, prepping and planning and, and producing these food plots that produce... Uh, you know, healthy wildlife. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's in it for something different. You know, I'm in it to to look at uh, the hunting opportunities as better. And he said, my wife looks at it as, this is just fun coming out here and planting. He said, so it was a win-win for him. And he said, man, I would encourage people to really look at this. He said, instead of asking my kid to help me carry bait back in the woods, which we can't anymore anyways here in mid-Michigan, he says, we're planting food plots and they're having fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, John, for dialing in. We really appreciate it. June 11th, Deer School over in Millersburg in that Preskill County area. That's only about, we'll say, 30 to 40 minutes from me, so I'm planning on being there. I've got it marked down. I look forward to meeting you in person and, uh, and your staff and moving forward and, and lowering my level of frustration, having a better time uh, with these food plots. Sounds good. look forward to meeting you as well. All right. Thanks, John. I really appreciate your time. Hey, you have the uh, great rest of the week and, of course, the weekend, and enjoy the uh, spring has sprung. I will. Thanks much to everybody that listened to us, and hopefully I gave you guys some food for thought. This week's podcast brought to you by Michigan Brand. 
Michigan Brand is a third-generation, family-owned and operated business out of mid-Michigan. We are known for our world-famous hams, jerky, and various sausage products. You can find us all over the state of Michigan, as well as other states throughout the U.S. Check us out at michiganbrand.net. That's michiganbrand.net to learn more. And also brought to you by... Bourbon Creek Gun Dogs and Guide. Northern Michigan's finest upland bird put-and-take preserve. Our private lands have been carefully groomed to give you a blue ribbon experience. Bring your dog or have our guide bring their expertly trained German shorthaired for a fun-filled day. At your request, we also guide on other properties. We are located in the heart of Michigan's elk country. Find us at bourboncreekgundogs.com or on Facebook. Or call us, 989-858-6799, to book your next upland bird hunting experience. And with that, we conclude another podcast episode with Wild Game Dynasty. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe in your podcast app to receive notifications on future podcasts. Also, please head on over and check out our Facebook page. Be sure to like and follow it to stay up to date on highlights from our clients, turkey, bear, and white-tailed deer hunts. Until next time, guys, stay safe, enjoy the great outdoors, and happy hunting.